0: Here's your host, Dan Loney. From some estimates, about 15% of daily trading volume in U.S. markets occurs through what are known as dark pools. These allow sophisticated traders to move large blocks of stock without alerting traders who might be able to use this information for their benefit. But now the government is starting to crack down on how these investors operate. The SEC and New York Attorney General Eric Schneiderman announced fines of $154 million to two of the largest operators of dark pools, Barclays and Credit Suisse for lying to customers about their operations. But to learn more about these dark pools and how they operate, we welcome in Wharton's Peter Conti Brown, Assistant Professor of Legal Studies and Business Ethics. He joins us, as we said, in studio and as well on the phone, Bill Black from the University of Missouri-Kansas City, Assistant Professor of Economics and Law. Peter, it's always great to have you back. Thanks for coming in. Pleasure to be here. Bill, as always, great to have you on the phone. Thanks. Great to have you both. Uh, the move by, uh, by the Attorney General's office and the SEC bill, uh, break down what they did and what they were seeing in, in wanting to put these fines in place.
1: Okay, so slightly different than the T's, the concern yeah. wasn't the dark pools okay. per se. The dark pools were supposed to be the solution, right? So the, the problem was the high-frequency traders and their ability to do various manipulations, but one of them being front-running. And the dark pools were supposedly the great reform that would protect uh, regular types, although, of course, regular types are not sophisticated (laughs) enough to use dark pools, but our mutual funds are. Uh, So the mutual fund is promised by the dark pool, we'll let you trade, In ways where you can't be skinned by the high-frequency traders and we will alert you to your um, trading partners by not by name but by category and so we will categorize folks who um, are high-frequency traders and potentially might be uh, taking advantage of you um, with a number grade typically Uh, and so People love this, uh, and they went into the dark pools, as you said, uh, maybe in the range of 15% of all the trades to escape these abuses. Well, it turns out these dark pools that had been sold as the saviors and protectors of the semi-little guys uh, were actually cutting secret deals with the high-frequency traders. So it was the worst of all worlds. You thought you were safe, which creates complacency, uh, because you were lied to. And as uh, you said, by two of the absolute largest uh, of the dark pool folks. And this isn't the first time this has happened. Uh, So, you know, there have been fines for other supposed dark uh, pools. And it seems to be another case that Senator Warren is correct. The system is rigged in innumerable ways.
0: Peter, I mean, this uh, this is, obviously, it's a little bit of a, a more concern for people that are out there uh, about the operations that are going on tied to big banks and tied to Wall Street.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the uh, I think Bill is exactly correct in, in, in everything he just said. And it's important to understand exactly what the motivation is behind these market participants and what it means for the quote-unquote little guy quote-unquote little guy, as, as Bill said, I mean, you or I would never find ourselves in a dark pool sure. trying to make this transaction. And the benefit, as Bill said, is that if you're a, a very large investor who holds a big position in a single equity – then and you want to either uh, you want to move out of that position or you want to enter into the, uh, that kind of a position. The reason you want to go uh, have the size of this transaction, the nature of your price obscured, is because if all of a sudden a giant chunk of stock comes on the market, yep. then that's going to affect. The price of that market not related to the fundamentals of the business, but because all of a sudden there's an eager seller yeah. or an eager buyer. So as Bill said, dark pools are the solution here. This is something that uh, equity traders and broker dealers have been dealing with for uh, centuries, and they had all kinds of other tra- uh, strategies, and this was seen as the most efficient. So um, the, the problem here, again, isn't so much that Uh, that individual day trading uh, uh, humans are being ripped off here. It's that banks lied that they sold a product to their clients whose entire virtue... Was eliminated through a back door. So they were uh, the thing that left me a little bit surprised. And maybe Bill knows more about this. Is why did we see uh, Barclays? I think it was Barclays, or maybe it was Credit Suisse, admitted that they had violated several securities laws. But, but
0: Credit Credit Suisse, I believe, admitted that they did violate. And or actually, I think it is the other way around. I yeah. think Barclays admitted they violated, and Credit Suisse said they did not. Bill, right, Bill.
1: So uh, th- thanks. This is actually the hidden story that I wanted to talk about as well. This is the high cost of not enforcing the law and not creating precedents. Um, so the only conceivable semi-logical thing I can think of is that they felt that with the one admission they had somehow made public that this is definitely – a violation of the law, and therefore they didn't need an admission from the second, but that's nuts. Uh, you should be requiring admissions from both, and better yet, actually, you should have been bringing a contested case mm. and establishing the precedent or losing. Uh, because if you lose and say the court says you have no jurisdiction as SEC over this kind of matter, huh. uh, then you want to know that. And you want to go to Congress and say, well, look, uh, we have this whole reform system that's being uh, perverted and subverted. Um, we tried to fix it, and the courts have said we lack the following statutory power. Uh, please fix it. So okay. when you have an enforcement system that is 99.9% of the time, they never get a decision. They never create precedent. Mm-hmm. And if anybody has studied, you know, the whole concept of the common law, this is a very bad thing, right? It's with the, the creation of precedent is one of the geniuses of the Anglo Saxon system that produces efficiency. The problem is, if you're short, having been an enforcement head myself, you're short of resources. Well, it always looks efficient to settle. But the greatest efficiencies often
2: are from not settling. So it doesn't make for very good radio, but I agree completely with Bill, Maybe you <laughs> should argue a little bit more. But um, the part of the problem let me compare what we've got here with the uh, inseparable problems and in institutions of dark pools and high-frequency ah. trading, yeah. uh, which is new, right? This is new since the late 1990s at the very earliest right. an explosion that we've seen. Uh, uh before and, and around the financial crisis such that high frequency trading constitutes more than half of all equity trades sure, that are yeah. happening and even more on the on the futures markets compare this to the slow and steady development of law around things such as uh, uh, fraud violations in securities markets or insider trading. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is still a very active space and sure, we yeah. get the development of this kind of, of case law, these sorts of rules. We have arguments in uh, on both sides of the bar in, among academic circles about what constitutes insider trading as new facts, new institutions come online. Yeah. We're not getting that with high frequency trading in dark pools. Uh, it makes it so that, I mean, even by the very names of them. They become these mysterious uh, 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 unknowns that that as they continue to grow, we throughout the industry, uh, uh, among enforcement, among private lawyers, among academics, and among practitioners, and among the general public, just don't ever get a firm grip on what is changing and whether those changes conform with our understanding of uh, market integrity uh, and uh, and the
0: rule of law. And a lot of that is it seems like because of the the there is so much coming from the high frequency traders these days and the speed of which they have uh, you know they happen, a lot of this stuff, it's seemingly they're falling behind in terms of the enforcement of it as well, correct?
2: Right, I mean so that's that's exactly right, I mean the the, the, the question for high frequency traders and what a lot of uh, the traders themselves said in reaction, I mean a lot of this comes we should be clear from, from Michael Lewis doing yeah. uh, in his inimitable way, uh, publishing a very readable book about this, uh, this phenomenon. Flash Boys is the book. Uh, this is what's uh, – I, I don't know if uh, New York Attorney General uh, Schneiderman would agree to this, but the timing is that the book comes out and then very shortly thereafter the Barclays case is filed, yep. uh, the one that was just settled. And uh, uh, the, the question then is, is, is this the only way we can get any kind of accountability? Is just journalism? I mean, the journalism is very good, it's useful, but uh, journalists don't have the subpoena power. We wouldn't want them to. Sure, they don't yeah. have the enforcement authority. We wouldn't want them to. And so, um, But that's only one end of the stick. And it looks like, from the perspective of high-frequency trading and, uh, and, to a lesser extent, dark pools, we get one end of the stick picked up as more and more journalism comes online explaining these phenomena. But the other end of the stick to explain and explore and use the power... Of of law and government to resolve issues just isn't isn't following.
0: But isn't that also a problem? Just a, a kind of an enforcement in general, whether that be in this situation or, or you know you name it across the board. Uh, you know we talk about it on a variety of different angles. Is that in many cases there just isn't enough resources now to be able to do the types of enforcement you need to have because of the speed of of which uh, of what things happen these days.
1: That's part of it, but part of it is also deliberate. Sure. Uh, So uh, one of the things that should be very scary is even today, we don't really have definitive uh, proof of what caused the flash crash. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, indeed, one of the theories is a place that uh, is only a mile from our home in Kansas City. This, uh, you know, regional uh, broker somehow caused it. And there's another theory. It was was, uh, manipulation by a particular uh, person abroad uh, that may have prompted it. But uh, the SEC is not capable of doing those studies. It does not have the technology yep. to even be able to study eight years or so after the fact, I, I, maybe six years. But um, even after the fact, much less in real time, and I'm sorry, but it is partisan, um, the Republicans are b- deliberately trying to prevent the SEC and the CFTC, which does derivatives, from having the budget to um, get modern technology uh, to look at these uh, matters. Indeed, the very existence of the dark pools and their size, roughly 15% of the market, tells us, in a way, about uh, the failure, right? Um, You shouldn't have to do dark pools uh, to protect yourself, but these people feel they need to and agreed that high-frequency trading is probably above 50%, and in other categories, well above it. But on top of that, the concern is that we see persistent cheating, and some people think this is the trader mentality. So my own uh, universities, where I got two of my degrees, the University of Michigan, uh, has a very famous survey research center, and it puts out many things, but one of them is consumer sentiment, and this is considered to be a real market mover. Well, the University of Michigan cut a secret deal with high-frequency traders to give them the information several minutes earlier. You know, and that's just slimy. Um, And... uh, It has no part in the investment where it shouldn't, but of course it it does. And in addition to the trades, we have to remember that the bids done by high-frequency traders are vastly bigger than their actual uh, purchases and sales. Mm -hmm. And the pattern of their bids looks very hinky. Uh, people don't know exactly what they're doing with these bids, which are often way out of the market price. Mm-hmm. Um, and the most benign explanation is this somehow produces market discovery, price discovery. But frankly, I don't think many people believe that's the purpose.
0: So from the legal perspective, outside of the fines that were, were levied by uh, the SEC and the, the New York Attorney General's office. What is kind of the option for government regulators at this point?
2: Well, I mean, if uh, I, I'm a little bit more optimistic than than it sounds like Bill is on this, I think that the SEC has. There's no need for extra legislation uh, okay. in order to give the the SEC or the uh, the state attorney generals or the DOJ, for that matter, uh, authority to. Prosecute fraud, yeah, uh, and to go after you know the, the the easiest case would be that this is front running, which is exactly the kind of thing that Bill described. And in the old days, it just meant that literally a human being getting news of market moving information, sure, and then uh, mo- uh, uh, usually in response to a a bid itself running and buying the stock so that it can turn key that stock over uh, and making the profit again that serves no useful economic purpose uh, and and is illegal so if uh, if there all of the apparatus for prosecuting this is in place and it is as bill said just a question of resources the reason I'm more optimistic though is that we do see in in uh, in some over the long arc of, of enforcement history something of a swinging pendulum sometimes mm-hmm. that pendulum very much gets stuck in one Direction, but if this kind of uh, if enthusiasm for these kinds of settlements and fines and admissions of guilt increases, especially given that the people hurt by this are themselves pretty large actors, yeah. who might be behind uh, uh, some changes? We could see a reallocation of of the agency's admittedly scarce resources toward enforcement. Now, again, that we could see that. We know, right. it's not it's not certain, um, but at this point, it's really a question of of will as opposed to law.
1: Bill, true, but it has been for mm, 15 years. Yeah, that's uh, absolutely, uh, and they uh, are yeah. completely lack the will to put elite bankers in prison. Remember, we're talking about Barclays and Credit Suisse. Now, these are serial felons, right, serial felons who have committed not hundreds of felonies, if these things are true, but depending on how you count it, hundreds of thousands or millions, (laughs) and nobody goes to jail. So, not even in the old joke in criminology that you know the, of the vice president in charge of going to jail. So yeah. they don't even have to throw some ritual uh, person into the volcano from low in the food chain. Um, it's as if the Department of Justice forgot that it is actually supposed to prosecute people if they have a title banker.
2: Yeah, it, go ahead. Well, it, okay. it's it's the puzzle though here for me. Is, is why would the SEC and uh, the U.S. Attorney's Office in, in Southern District of New York, for example, show so much interest in in going after insider trading uh-huh. and so little going after what is b- orders of magnitude m- greater and more frequent of yep. the same kind of principle, yeah. right? That high-frequency trading, when it's done this, I mean, let's be clear. Some high-frequency trading, they're just algorithms battling each other. Sure, And in that case, uh, uh, God bless you. You Go to the dark (laughs) pools, do whatever you want to do. Put your strategy and algorithm against your opponents and see what happens. But but the kinds of uh, transactions we're talking about here are decidedly not that, are using the architecture and technology of high-frequency trading in dark pools against... Humans and organizations that humans create in order to exploit the difference between human cognition mm-hmm. and uh, uh, and robots, computers, right? And so the idea is this is ex- essentially the same. Sure. It's taking information gained through some mechanism, whether you're in a boardroom and you hear the information or you are a computer and you get that information, and doing something with it ahead of the rest of the market. Sure yeah. So this is sort of a textbook case of the very kinds of things that our securities laws, both criminal and civil, are designed to prevent. And I don't have a good explanation for why that would be I, so much enthusiasm. I, I can
1: explain that and uh, as a footnote, we're not so much worried about algorithm battling algorithm in when it comes to high frequency trading. Our real fear is algorithm magnifying algorithm. Oh, sure. In other words, it's very likely that these algorithms are very, very, very similar. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, and because they come out of basic finance models, and therefore we would expect them to sure. be very similar, and they're based. L- all the alleged sophistication, they're actually very crude correlations in many cases. Mm-hmm. If X goes up, Y is likely to go up. So buy, you know, Y. But uh, with, immediately,
0: with this, with this being focused at least in this uh, time uh, on Barclays and Credit Suisse, is it is it not fair to assume that probably if if this activity was going on uh, with uh, with the high frequency traders in these two? banking institutions that's probably going on with others as well and that we will probably hear more of this whether it be from Eric Schneiderman or from the SEC you know in the weeks and months to come whether whether that's it's, it's more slaps on the wrist or if they you know well as you said they probably wouldn't look to really prosecute to begin with well what I'm what I'm
2: interested in is that I think that your first premise is correct I mean there are 60 exchanges and uh, at least including these all of the dark pool private exchanges. Most major banks, including Goldman sure. Sachs, many others have their own. Um, the question that is so interesting to me is we have seen some prosecutions, even after the uh, um, the financial crisis, both by um, federal and state prosecutors, but against those who have allegedly stolen code from the high-frequency traders right, right, yeah. you know, right. within the banks themselves. Right. I mean, Sergei Lenikoff, Agrawal, I mean, these are some of the names of people who... Uh, Perhaps did nothing at all and had their lives completely destroyed by a combination of their former employers and uh, and the the state acting on the employer's behalf. So so it's not clear at all that even if these discoveries are made, that we will see an uptick. But again, it's not clear that we would never see that. Uh, That's why I I have have a a few grains of optimism. There could there could be, and maybe the way to come at it is. Uh, you know, Bill's concern about algorithm amplifying algorithm becomes a question not simply of fraud, but also uh-huh. of systemic risk. Sure, and yeah. focused on, yeah, yeah. So, given that there might be a separate silo entirely for uh, federal regulatory apparatus to focus on these concerns. That that I think that's actually a good thing. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's not a lot of appetite for going after the fraudsters, but there might be at the SEC, uh, maybe at the Fed. Uh, certainly i mean the tokyo regulators have just announced that they're going to be going after this italy has has done uh, a few years ago they imposed uh, transactional tax mm-hmm. uh, uh, on on these trades brazil has entertained the same kind of thing maybe maybe there is a question that systemic risk is the better frame for thinking through this and that there would be a positive spillover effect that would would uh, decrease the overall level of fraud also
1: bill Here's, I think, the answer to your question about uh, why the insider trading uh, cases. And it's really just path dependency and the mm-hmm. uh, random nature of life, because it's the same thing as uh, the, in, the pursuit of insider trading that eventually uh, brought down Michael Milken. Um, Giuliani Came into power as a U.S. attorney, um, claiming uh, that his predecessor had gone astray by bringing too many white-collar cases. Hmm. Right? He didn't. He he was an opponent of uh-huh. bringing white-collar cases. Uh, but they got this weird complaint, and some people started pulling on threads. And when they started pulling the threads, well, they brought down a fairly prominent person, and he, of course, this being uh, the United States, uh, said, well, I'd like a lighter sentence, and I'll tell you how the real scam works. And that brought him to bosky and that brought them eventually to Milken, right? Mm-hmm. That it, it, it was the random and then the path-dependent nature sure. of life. The same thing appears to have happened in the insider trading here, that they got a, somebody who blew the whistle, and they went and they looked. Mm-hmm. And that led them actually to the most senior banking executive where something has actually happened to them. Yeah. Right? A, a member of the board, yeah, Goldman, sure. oh, Goldman. Right. Uh, was to, uh, went down as part of that. So I think that's what happened, and, that, and it's just the, the normal investigative process, yeah. except that the normal investigative process doesn't happen in all these other areas.
0: Bill, thanks very much for, uh, for joining us today. Greatly appreciate your insight. Thank you. You got it. Peter, great to see you. Always a pleasure. You got it. Thanks very much for coming in.
2: For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.